Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good evening. Good evening. Uh, greeting one another is one of the commands in Scripture. Uh, we'll have to do that one. Uh, today, this evening we're looking at at uh, confessing Christians, and so one of, one of the one another's part of this series, as I've said before, is to show us what uh, the normal Christian life looks like, what a healthy Christian life looks like, what a healthy church community should look like, uh, with all these one another commands, the way we are to interact with one another, relate to one another, treat one another. Uh, and this evening we're going to look at a passage in James, so Please turn there in your Bibles, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and I'm just going to read uh, two verses, verses 15 and 16. So James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Uh, James says this, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you're familiar with the book of James, you'll know that uh, James has quite a lot to say about our speech and the tongue. So he's the one who tells us how powerful the tongue is. It's a, a tiny little muscle, he says but it's capable of incredible damage. He says it's just like a little spark, uh, just a tiny little spark can cause a whole forest fire. And he says the same thing about the tongue. So we have to be careful about how we speak. He also says we shouldn't go around saying, I'm going to do this tomorrow, I'm going to do that next week, I'm going to buy this and sell this and go there and do the next thing. He says we should say, Lord willing. Uh, and of course, he's not just saying that that's a, a superstitious thing to say or just a magic term <clears throat> that we have to add on uh, it's to remind us that God is in absolute control God is sovereign and then we come to this passage at the end of the book and he talks about prayer how important prayer is uh, as we heard this morning a supernatural act communion communing with uh, the almighty God the true and living God and then here he says in the context of praying Verse 16, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Uh, and there's a lot of debate amongst theologians about this passage, but there is no doubt that there is a link here between uh, one's physical health and the confession of sin. And so he's talking in the context of sickness, illness, and then he talks about confession of sin. And that does not mean that every time you're sick, it's because you haven't confessed sin. 
because you read elsewhere that uh, people are sick in the Bible and Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He doesn't say you need to confess your sin, Timothy. He says, take some medicine. Uh, so it's not that you must leave here thinking, well, if I have the flu, there must be some sin that I need to confess. Having said that, though, sometimes there is a connection. Uh, and here we see the connection, and we also see the connection in Psalm 32. David says this, it's one of the psalms of repentance, one of the penitential psalms. There are seven of them in the Psalter. Uh, they are psalms of repentance. And David says in verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, when he did not confess his sin, when he did not acknowledge his sin, he says, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And so his body was affected uh, through, through his lack of confession. And so we're going to look at the importance of confession uh, in the church community as God's people. <coughs> Sorry, we are commanded to confess our sins. And uh, confession was an important part of the early church's gathering. So uh, an ancient church manual, the Didache, uh, probably written uh, within the first century. Uh, so an ancient document. This is what it says in chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, In church thou shalt confess thy transgressions, and shalt not betake thyself to prayer with an evil conscience. This is the way of life. So very early on in the liturgy of the church, there was this confession of sin. Uh, we are going to look at that, you know, who should we confess to, when should we confess, uh, what does it look like. Uh, while we don't call people up here, we don't see that the scripture mandates uh, us to come and stand here in front, every one of us, every Sunday, and confess our sins. If you've been here in the morning, you know that we have a church prayer, and part of that church prayer is confession of sin. Uh, and this is very important. You must not sit there during the church prayer and think, oh, it's that guy up front praying. You know, I'll just say amen at the end. Uh, that person who is praying is representing all of us to the Lord. That confession should be the confession of all of us. You should own it. You should own that I have not lived as I should have lived this past week. Uh, maybe you've sinned through anger, maybe you sin through lust or jealousy uh, or lying or stealing, whatever it is, uh, part of that prayer is for you to own it and say to the Lord, Lord, I confess my sin to you as well. Uh, and so that when we say amen, we are affirming what has, what has been prayed. So in that sense, we do confess our sin publicly during the church prayer, uh, but uh, there is more to confession than that. Uh, the Psalms, those penitential Psalms, were actually David's confession, weren't they? Remember that the Psalms would have been read and sung in, in church gatherings. And so David is there publicly confessing his sin. Uh, he, is, he is acknowledging that he is a sinner. Remember, he was the king of Israel. Uh, there is a, you know, some pastors who will never admit to doing anything wrong from the pulpit. They almost always portray themselves as perfect and without sin. Uh, David was not like that. David acknowledged his sin. Uh, the, his psalms of repentance are still being sung by us today. 
Now, David did not go into detail about his sin or into gory details or anything like that. So that's one of the important elements of confession is that we are not to uh, go into detail exactly what we've done, but to be clear and factual with what has happened. And we'll look at when and how we are to confess our sin. But confession is important. Just to give you a few passages of Scripture. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Solomon says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Whoever conceals his transgressions, whoever conceals his sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Uh, and so there's a proverb there. If you're going to hide your sin, if you're going to conceal it, if you're going to keep it in the dark, it is going to have an effect upon your life. Uh, it's going to affect your relationships. It's going to affect maybe your finances. It's going to affect your health, as we've already seen. Uh, it's going to ex affect your, your relationship with the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're cast out of God's family. Uh, but you know that when we sin, there is a break in fellowship with our Father. Just as when we sin in a family, there is a break in fellowship. And so don't conceal your sin. And so my hope and prayer is, uh, we're not going to go into specifics, but that the Holy Spirit would convict you. If you are concealing sin, if you are hiding sin, if you're thinking nobody knows about it, the Lord knows about it, the Lord sees it, and here is a warning, you will not prosper. But if you confess it, bring it to the light. I always tell my children, ugly things, horrible things grow in the dark. Okay. Uh, we know that. Go, you lift a, we have, we have a, an aviary where we keep birds and rabbits and things. And uh, every now and then we go in there and move a tree stump or a, a rock and you lift it up and underneath are these terrible creatures. Okay. Uh, scary things, I don't know what they are. Uh, cockroaches, ugly grubs. Uh, all sorts of creepy crawlies, and they flee, don't they, because they want to be in the darkness. That is a picture of our sin. They, it grows in darkness. When you bring light to it, it cannot flourish. When you bring light to it, then you will flourish as a person. You confess it and forsake it, you will obtain mercy. Matthew chapter 3 tells us about John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist comes, and verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this was his message. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the very first message is repent. It's the same message the Lord Jesus proclaimed when he started preaching. Repent, because the kingdom of God has arrived. And then it goes on in verse 4 and says what John looked like. He wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so there is no repentance without confession of sin. You cannot say you've repented unless you've taken responsibility for your sin and owned it and confessed it, brought it to the light. Otherwise, what are you repenting from? Uh, 
That's why when we read people's testimonies, when we interview people for membership, all of these things, uh, that's something that we're looking for. If there is no mention of an acknowledgement of sin and a turning from sin, uh, then we have questions. We're looking for that because that is critical. Otherwise, why did you need come to Christ? What were you saved from? Did you understand your sin? Did you, why did Jesus come to the, and die on the cross? Was he just a, a great example? Was it just a, it's just a nice story? It's because of our sin that he had to come in and lay down his life. And so here we see the connection between repentance and confession of sin. In the book of Acts, chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and uh, there's many wonderful miracles there, wonderful things going on, and uh, God is working in the city in Ephesus. Verse 18 says, uh, Many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, an incredible amount of money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So they're coming to the Lord, and what, what is the impetus? To confess their sin. To divulge their practices. This is what I've been doing. This is what I've been involved with. And as we heard in, in Bible Hour this morning, the supernatural, sorcery, witchcraft. And so they bring their books with their incantations and spells and all of these things. And they bring all of this dark arts and magic and all of this. And they throw it in the fire, valuable books. And so again, the link between true repentance and confession of sin. Bringing it to the light. Confession and repentance always go together. Well, let's first look at how we are not to confess. Okay, so this is how not to do it. Don't do it like this. Uh, there's a book by a man called Ted Kluck or Kluck. Uh, he wrote a book called The Reason for Sports, a Christian manifesto. So he, he takes a, a, a biblical Christian worldview perspective on sports. Uh, he was a sports journalist and uh, in one of his chapters is on apologies within sport. And if you've ever watched sportsmen and sportswomen who've been caught for taking steroids or cheating or something like that, you'll know what he's talking about here. He says, uh, they're apologies that are not really apologies. So he says, they usually say things like, I'm sorry if anyone was hurt by what I said or by what I did. Or I'm sorry if that offended you. If that's your confession, if you're in a marriage or in a relationship or you've heard someone at church or in the workplace and you go to them and say, I'm sorry if I offended you, that's not a true apology. That's not repentance. What you're actually saying is, I'm sorry you got upset. <laughs> I'm not sorry over what I did. Uh, you know, if you were a bit more thick-skinned, then we wouldn't have this discussion. That is not an apology. That's not the way to go about it. You have not apologized for your sin, if that's what you said. Uh, others will say things like this, and he gives examples. Uh, we just need to put this behind us and move on. 
And then he says, translation, I'd like to move on as soon as possible. If only you could let me forget that I took money from a booster, used steroids, ran over an old lady with my car, or shoved a fan who trashed my mom. Uh, maybe you've done that. You've been in a fight with your spouse, and then you say, look, we just need to put this behind us. Again, that's not repentance. You've not taken responsibility for your sin and owned it. Another way not to do it is if you say, I'm sorry, but I wouldn't have done it if you hadn't done this. Okay. Uh, you see what you've done there? You put the blame on the other person. You have not again taken responsibility for your own sin. And so always be, be aware of that. It's so part of our nature to defend why we acted in a certain way, why we sinned. Watch out for the but in your apology. Another thing, especially in marriages, is someone will say, I'm really sorry for the way I spoke to you. Please forgive me for that. And then stand there staring at the other person, waiting for them to apologize for what they did. <laughs> I've done my part. But you see, that's not... You see... True repentance uh, is irrespective of the response of the other person. You are taking responsibility for your sin. Yes, we long that there would be mutual repentance, all of those things, and we should pray for that. Uh, but often that leads to another fight, because you're like, well, I repented, why can't you repent? Then you've missed it. You haven't really repented. You haven't taken 100% responsibility for your own sin. To say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. No strings attached. And so what are we to do? What is the correct way to repent? Well, other theologians who've, who've written about this and thought deeply about it, and especially within the English language, because I'm sorry means so little in a sense, especially if you're English. Uh, English people say sorry for everything. Okay, um, if, they, if, they, if you knock someone, if you're, you're sort of sorry for existing, almost. <laughs> uh, you're, uh, so so it, because I'm sorry can be used for a mistake, for just bumping into someone, which is not a sin, for, for spilling tea on someone. It's better not to use the word I'm sorry or the words I'm sorry because it's, it's so broad. Uh, what is better is to ask for forgiveness. To say, please forgive me. And then to be factual about what you are asking for forgiveness for. Not, please forgive me for what I did yesterday. It's generic. But please forgive me for raising my voice to you. Please forgive me for lying to you when I said that. That was not true. Please forgive me for not honoring you as as my father or my mother, and speaking to you in a disrespectful way. To be specific and to ask for forgiveness, to see that this is a weighty thing. And as we saw last week, we looked at, at forgiveness. When you forgive someone, you need to understand what you're doing. 
that you are, you are releasing them, that you are not going to exact punishment from them. You're not going to give them the cold shoulder. You're not going to slam the door in their face. You're, 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 it's dealt with, and you are releasing them from this. And so I would also say to you, when you forgive someone, not to say it just flippantly, just immediately. Maybe you've done things, something like that. So you say, I forgive you, and then half an hour later, you're, sure, but, oh, because you haven't really realized what you're doing. When you say to someone, I forgive you, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to hold on to this. I forgive you. And so forgiveness is massive, and we saw the importance of that. But when you ask someone to forgive you, you are, you are emphasizing to them as well how important this is, how serious this is, as opposed to, I'm sorry, I'm just sorry. Well, who should we confess to? Again, the, conf- the confession should be as public as the sin. And first of all, we must confess our sin to God. Always first to God. Psalm 51, David's other psalm of repentance, perhaps his most well-known psalm of repentance. Psalm 51, verse 4, he says this to the Lord. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. A remarkable statement. The heading for that psalm says after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet over his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. uh, It's very easy to argue David had sinned against everyone, hadn't he? He had sinned against the whole nation. He was the king. He had sinned against his parents, dishonored them. He had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and their families. He had sinned against everyone. And yet David comes to the Lord and he, he acknowledges this. He says, in the light of who God is, it's almost as though it's irrelevant everyone else. It's the same as the Lord Jesus saying, unless you hate mother or father, does he mean you must literally hate your mother and father? No. But in comparison, your love for God should, should be like the sun and your love for your parents should be like a torch. Okay? And in comparison, your sin against others is, is like a torch compared to your sin against God. Our sin against God is, is, that's why hell is eternal, isn't that right? Because we've sinned against an infinite, holy God. And so go to God. You must confess your sin to God first. You have sinned against Him, the giver of every good gift. The one who gave you life and breath and every blessing, every kindness. Why do people moan so much? It's only because they've known so much good. If you knew nothing but horror and misery and sadness and pain, you would think that's the way it is. Chickens in those chicken runs, you know, that they put them in a little cage from birth and they sit there and lay eggs. They don't even grow muscles in their legs. They don't know there's anything else. They freak out when they put them in the, the open. We moan because we have it so good. We moan because the sun shines on our face. We hear the birds singing. We have people who give us hugs. 
We have different flavors of food. We get order numbers. Okay, if you, those of you in business, isn't that a great feeling? We've got the order number. <laughs> okay, what a gift from God. If it's a company that pays, obviously. <laughs> you get the phone call, you've been hired. You've got the job. It's a gift from God. Uh, children are a gift from God. People who love us, a gift from God. All of these things. Every day, God lavishes. Uh, the script, the psalmist says, open, the Lord says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He gives us so many good things, and yet we spit in his face, metaphorically, don't we? We take those good things. We take the gift of speech and use it to blaspheme his name. Uh, we, we, we take our eyes. We can see, I was reading an article recently, and, and um, uh, just about the, the, the loss of color in, in, in the artistic world as a reaction to medieval Christian art, which was full of color. And the person said that we can see about 10 million different colors. Isn't that incredible? 10 million different colors. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I couldn't believe that. 10 million. Yet we only have about 11 terms for different colors. But we can see 10 million colors. God gives us the ability to see all these incredible things. To see nature, to see uh, other people. And we look at filth. We, we take what is good and beautiful and pure and defile it. And so our sin is primarily against God. And so first of all, you confess to the Lord... And then we confess to those we've sinned against, and I'll come back to that. But let me first point out there have been abuses in church history when it comes to confession of sin. First of all, probably most notorious in the Roman Catholic Church, that you are to confess your sin to a priest. And maybe the initial motive was good, but uh, again, it's not commanded in Scripture that you have to go regularly and confess all that you've done uh, that has been abused terribly. Uh, even closer to home, uh, what we're seeing being exposed in the Kwasiza Bantu mission, the use of confession to control people. Uh, the IPHC or IPC, International Pentecostal Holiness Church, not too far from here, massive church. You know, Medice started that. Medice had a dream. But this is how you used to be able to join the church. Entrance into the church take, takes place after a full confession of sins has been made to Medice, after which a person's sins are washed away and a membership card may be purchased. Okay, I knew there was money in there somewhere. Okay, those of you who have membership certificates, your bill is coming. Okay, <laughs> uh, but it's notorious. Because people are encouraged to expose their deepest, darkest secrets to this person. And then it's held over them. It's ripe for blackmail and all sorts of things like that. It's not biblical. Okay? Uh, it sounds spiritual. Uh, and it is right for us to confess our sins. It is a command in Scripture. Uh, but when you take one verse in the Bible from James and you build a whole doctrine of confession to a priest or to... Uh, 
some prophet or apostle or whatever. Uh, that's abuse. It's an abuse of power. It is not biblical. Uh, and so beware of that. So who are we to confess to? Well, if you have sinned against someone actively and they know about it, confess to the Lord and then go to that person and confess your sin to them and ask for forgiveness. Okay? If they don't know about it, if you've sinned against them in your heart, maybe someone pulled up to church in a nice Mercedes-Benz and you had envy. Okay? Like, man, I wish I had that car. Okay? And I wish they didn't have it. I want it. Okay? You're not to go up to them and say, hey, I just, please forgive me for envy in your car. Or if you've lusted after someone, to go up to them and say, please forgive me for lusting after you. Okay? Uh, we're not to do that. That is going to create more division, more confusion, more problems. However, if you have slandered someone and they don't know about it, it is right to go and confess your slander to that person. Please forgive me for slandering you, for lying about you, for misrepresenting you to, to others. And so the confession is as far as the sin goes. Okay. So I'd encourage you, when you leave here, uh, ask the Lord to help you, but to consider... Uh, what sins are you hiding? What, how have you sinned against someone and not confessed it and not asked for forgiveness? Maybe write it down. And then commit to doing it. Often we do that, that first step. We're excited. Yeah, I want to make this right. And we start with a list. And um, uh, I've done that before with uh, you know, writing a letter to someone. This is not, not confession of sin, but, you know, commitment to, I, I want to restore this relationship, I want to make it better, and so I'm going to write a letter. And then the busyness of life takes over. I might start writing it, and then I, then I forget. You procrastinate, and you put off, and one day becomes a week, and then a month, and then eventually you've forgotten about it. Don't do that. Commit to making it right. There's a promise, we already read it. If you confess your sin and forsake it, you will obtain mercy. I want to close with the blessing of, of forgiveness from the Lord. That's the most important thing. It may be that you confess your sin to someone and they don't forgive you. Maybe you confess your sin to a work colleague. They don't forgive you. They hold on to that anger and they say, just get out of my face. Uh, there isn't much more you can do. You can continue to show that you are repentant by... Um, uh, what did Ronald Reagan say? Trust but verify. Okay? So we're not to be gullible. Uh, we are to forgive, but also to look for evidence that there is, is change. Trust but verify. And so maybe that person needs to see evidence that you're not going to be a lazy worker from now on, or whatever it was, the way that you sinned against that, that person. But when you confess to the Lord, when you truly repent before the Lord, the blessing is He forgives us. The sin is dealt with. Back to Psalm 32. 
From verse 1, David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed here is idea of happy, of rejoicing, of being, uh, of congratulations to the one whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. There is no greater joy than knowing that your sins are forgiven by God. And that's a, that's a continuous fight to believe the gospel, that our sins are forgiven. Our, our memory and Satan will keep wanting to throw it in our face. But in, if you've truly repented and asked the Lord to forgive you, you are forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Okay. The Lord does not count your sin against you. That, that uh, it's an accounting term. We know that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Your negative balance has been dealt with. It's gone. You're in the green. Infinite green. You have the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, For when I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. No peace. No rest. Because he's holding on to it. He's living in darkness. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's the grace of God. If, you're, if you have unconfessed sin that you're not dealing with, and you're fine. You're perfectly happy. That's a scary place to be because the Lord chastens those that He loves. But if there is sin that you're hiding and the Lord's hand is heavy upon you, praise the Lord for that. He's not giving you rest because He loves you too much. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I then He says, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. Here He confesses it. And I did not cover it up anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The Lord forgave him. And then in closing, 1 John verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, the most, probably the most well-known verse with respect to this. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. You hold on to that promise. If you confess your sins, no matter what you've done, this is the most incredible thing. You know, people always say that, I've seen it on YouTube videos, are you telling me if Hitler repented that five seconds before he died, he would go to heaven? Yes. <laughs> That's the, the scandal of the gospel. Yes. He would. Whatever you've done, Whatever sin that's maybe too terrible even for us to mention here. It, you confess it to the Lord, there is forgiveness. Okay. That you can, you can know that your sins are forgiven. You can put your head down tonight on your pillow, knowing that I'm right with the Lord. If I go tonight, if I take my last breath, been updating my life insurance recently so I've been thinking about, <laughs> about this <laughs> but if it were to happen I'm forgiven uh, not well Michael was good enough you know oh, it's 50 50 it's not 50 50 on our own righteousness it's it's zero uh, 
But the righteousness of Christ is 100%. Full forgiveness, full pardon. And if you've truly repented to the Lord, the evidence of that will be that you confess to, to those that you've sinned against. Don't hold it. Don't cover it up. I plead with you. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do pray that you would work by your Spirit, that um, every one of us here and those who listen later or watching now on, on Internet, whoever hears, would, would walk in the light, would believe what your Word says. It can be a frightening thing to bring our sins to the light, to confess to someone that we've lied to them or stolen from them or dishonored them, whatever it is. But Lord, your word says it is the way to prosper. It is the way to obtain mercy. So we do pray for our, our church here, Lord, that we would be a community that is quick to confess our sins. To take responsibility, not to blame others for our own sin. No one has made us sin. We have done it. So help us to, to own that and then to confess to you first of all, Father, to you, the triune God, that we have sinned against you. And help us to believe that you forgive us. Perhaps one of the hardest things to believe, that you have truly forgiven us that you have cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. Help us to truly believe that and to know it and to live out of that freedom, Lord. We do ask that you would do this in your wonderful name. Amen.